Hey, we are days away from pitchers and catchers reporting to Camelback Ranch as Pedro Grafol leads his first spring training as a big league manager. The fan outlook for this upcoming White Sox season appears to be a potion of apathy, hope, negativity, and renewed excitement. Connor McKnight from ESPN 1000 joins me in just a bit to talk all things White Sox. You are locked on White Sox. Your daily Chicago White Sox podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Sox fans, welcome to Locked On White Sox. Thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available at all platforms, follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Socks. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just search Locked On White Socks. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Uh, visit FanDuel.com/slash Lockdown today to get started. Hey, I'm your host Nick Murawski, a lifelong diehard Chicago White Sox fan. Recording this podcast. Just blocks from the ballpark in beautiful Bridgeport. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore GGTV. Lockdown White Sox is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Very exciting here as we get back to five episodes a week. Pitchers and catchers just j- days away from a reporting uh, here in Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona. Really appreciate you passing this podcast along to other Sox fans in your life. Uh, get those Mailbag Wednesday questions in at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Uh, host of White Sox Weekly and the pre- and post-game shows for your Chicago White Sox on ESPN 1000. I welcome Connor McKnight to the podcast. Wow, thank you for joining me, Connor. Thanks for having me, Nick. Appreciate this. Uh, here it is. Uh, we are here after a long, cold off season, um, renewed excitement. I, I feel it, but you know, as you I'm sure have heard, there's, uh, the Sox just maybe haven't done enough to get everybody on board. And maybe that's uh, an understatement. You know, I'm, uh, I'm still trying to figure out and wrap my brain around 2022 Connor. And I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I'm wondering if you've been able to come up with an answer, if it is one thing or if it was a you know a combination of a bunch of things of what went wrong in 2022. I, I think when you got seasons like that where projections, expectations, talent levels, you know, betting futures, you know, all these things kind of point to uh, something special potentially happening for your ball club and then it doesn't. It almost by default has to be a lot of things that didn't go your way, right? I mean, in baseball, there's no one player. You know, Mike Trott can't pull the Angels to the playoffs, even when he's got Shohei Otani on his wing, right? It takes more. So in baseball, we, you know, that it just doesn't exist that way, right? There's no LeBron to go down, so to speak. But I do think that there are a couple of underlying issues uh, that happened in 22 that I think the White Sox have taken steps to shore up here in 23 that may not be, you know, they're not home run totals um, necessarily, but they are things that matter quite a bit. And and when I look at those things, I think about outfield defense quite a bit. Uh, I think about strikeout rates quite a bit. 
I think about health, obviously, which I understand. You know, we talk about it on White Sox Weekly, and it almost comes, you know, with a preface. I get no one, regardless of your of your fandom, right? I mean, you could be a, a Northside fan for God's sake and, and still feel the same way. You don't want to you don't want to hear about health as as in anything, but it does matter. And and I get that it's not fun to talk about, but we we do need to talk about it. Uh, and I think that mattered some, but. I think what you're looking for is, uh, and, and you mentioned it in kind of the warm up here, what you're looking for, I think I'm looking for mostly in camp, is just kind of how and where can we find um, evidence of this kind of renewed push toward doing the things you can control right? Hitting the cutoff man, taking an extra 90 feet, playing better defense, executing the right pitch and the right counts, all that kind of stuff matters quite a bit. I think especially when you look at the the AL Central and how close some of the projections are, if you're going to win on the margins, then you've got to win on the margins. It's got to be those things that are right every single time for you because uh, that's what it takes to get to, you know, your 89, 90, 91 wins in 162 games and you're projected at, you know, whatever you're projected at. Yeah, I, I've been very uh, pleased with the folks that Pedro Grafol has surrounded himself with. I have appreciated what I've read and, and the mentality and the focus and the preparedness almost uh, of how they're going to attack different teams and the language that he hopes to speak and, and that players will adapt to. Uh, lots of grades and, and you know prognosticators and uh, pundits have talked about what this offense or offseason, I should say, has been like for the White Sox, and it hasn't been very favorable. Uh, how would you grade uh, this offseason, and what would you have liked to see the, the front office do differently? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you'd like to have a different outcome with how they address the starting pitching situation. That's first and foremost. It goes without saying, and I, I would imagine, you know, everyone's looking for something different there. That's obviously, Nick, a a very serious situation, you know, mm -hmm. one, one that is so much more than baseball. Um, and we'll let baseball as an entity kind of, you know, settle that. But I, I think it bears mentioning it's, it's, you know, kind of ridiculous not to, um, I, I do think that signing Andrew Benintendi as kind of a, you know, what, what obviously was an a one priority for them being the highest free agent contract they've ever issued, uh, does a lot of things for them. He checks the boxes in just about every category you can imagine except for power. And, you know, if he was a guy that was checking the power box as a lefty, uh, you know, left-handed great fielding outfielder or a solid fielding outfielder, uh, then you're talking, you know, he's going day one of free agency and he's paying, you know, 89 you know, or whatever, he's a $120 million contract. Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, I, I do think though that, you know, throughout the course of the off season, what I, I found really interesting and why I, I can't quite let my guard down, so to speak, is that as we started, the offseason, Rick Hahn mentioned that trades would kind of be a more uh, a better way for them to bring in talent, perhaps, than the free agent market would be. Now, I don't think anyone expected the free agent market to look like it ended up looking. I think people expected Carlos Correa to get a big contract, not three of them, uh, but one, <laughs> maybe settle. Uh, the Aaron Judge, I mean, like the money that went out the door yeah. was, yeah. I mean, it blew my hair back. Absolutely. Yeah. It really did. Um, so I think that changed what some tiers of free agents looked like and maybe enabled the White Sox to get in on Benintendi while the getting was pretty good, so to speak. I do think, though, that there will be a trade market leading up to the beginning of, of spring training. You know, mm. I, I, I do think the White Sox have shown an ability and propensity 
to get deals like that done. I mean, you don't have to go that far back to the Craig Kimbrell deal. I mean, that was a really late spring training deal. Mm. It had to get done. You know, it had some, you know, deadlines make deals, right? And I think there was kind of an artificial deadline with the contract status of both Kimbrell and Pollock at that point. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I really wouldn't be surprised if if there's a trade to come and and still you know maybe a, a half a letter grade or maybe more to improve the White Sox offseason grade. Um, you know, I I think more than anything else, the White Sox wanted to address what their team needed with the hiring of Pedro Grafal, those coaches, uh, signing Benintendi, and, and obviously signing a, a pitcher who may or or may not be on this roster at, at come opening day. That's you know not by them to be decided. Um, when when you look at that, when you add those things into your mix, you are still asking this team to stay healthy in certain spots. And I understand that that feels like a well-trod road, uh, but it is, I mean, when you've got a talent like Aloy Jimenez, just, you know, to name, name a name, yeah. right? Probably put Luis Robert in a similar situation. You, you do have guys that can threaten to be a top three player at that position. And you've got to, at, at some point, they've got to put up. You know, whether that be just in health or just in production. And that's that's what this team was built around. So I think it it makes sense in a way that that is still where this team is built. Yeah, I look at Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert as almost a, a lightning and thunder. I mean, if these two guys can play in 135, 140 games, yeah. you know, my mind, I can, almost can't comprehend it as, as a Sox fan of what could be. And of course, that's the big thing, the big if. We just... We haven't seen it, so it's uh, it's almost foolish sometimes in a way to lean on that. However, uh, if they can stay healthy, and I'm talking about a core of like six, seven guys, do you see someone as the straw that stirs the drink? It's been Tim Anderson, you know, uh, traditionally over the last several seasons. But what if, you know, uh, what if Jimenez and what if Mancada and what if Robert and all these guys uh, can get back to accustomed levels? Is there one guy that... This guy, we get on their back, and and we could we can really make this AL Central competitive. Well, I don't think there's any reason to discount Tim Anderson from that conversation. Still, you know, I mean, we we talk about health, and you know, the guys that are at the top of that list are Jimenez and Robert and Moncada to a certain degree because of injury histories, COVID, and their home run totals. Right, what we expect and what we saw, uh, the potential we see in him too. Even though TA, you know. If he's clicking and he has his best season, maybe he hits 20 home runs, something like that. But I think White Sox fans largely understand that his value isn't only from his power, right? Yeah. He plays shortstop, A number one. That's your defensive spot. And it's got to be better for him than it was last season. I, I do think, though, that he's a guy that, you know, a, a large straw in this mm. pina colada of White Sox <laughs> spring. And, and I think that matters. But I... I do think, though, this team was put together, you know, it, well, envisioned, I should say. When this team was envisioned, as, as we came out of the rebuild and into the contention window, um, you know, from that 2019 second half into 2020, I, I think it was envisioned to have many straws. You know, yeah. I, I mm -hmm. think teams where, you know, I, I, go, I go back to the, the mid-decade uh, Cubs, right, with Alfonso Soriano, because that was – those were teams where it was just, if he was hot, you couldn't touch him. And that lasted for about 10 days. And then it was kind of looking around and waiting for Ramos Ramirez to do something. You know I mean? You, you look back at some of those Yankees teams from, from when I was a kid in the nineties. And while there was 
Paul Neal and Bernie. Well, I'm kind of mixing some genres mm-hmm. and eras together, but you, know, you had guys, right? Like Bernie, but there, there was always a lot of depth in that lineup, right? Outside the, you know, Giambi season, there was, there was a lot there. And I think that's, that's kind of the way they wanted to do this, the way they wanted this to work. I, I want to ask you uh, after we uh, pay some bills here, uh, a guy that they're not going to be able to lean on, uh, how much will the White Sox miss Jose Abreu? going to talk a little bit about that and what Andrew Vaughn can do uh, in his place, so to speak. Uh, more on that uh, in a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NBA season is just about at the unofficial halfway point, and it's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, uh, because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in free bets. If your first bet doesn't win, FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. The FanDuel Sports app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. So download FanDuel today using promo code LOCKEDON to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Connor, um, fan favorite, Jose Abreu, gone. Um, I would say, and I know I'm not alone on this, uh, saw it coming maybe a couple years ago, and uh, knowing Jose Abreu and his desire to continue to play first base, and it, it just, I wasn't surprised that it, uh, that it went the way it did. Kind of surprised at the money uh, that he got from, from Houston, but how much will the White Sox miss Jose Abreu? They'll, they'll miss him a lot. You know, I mean, there's, there's no way you look at one of the greats this franchise has had for his first nine years. And it's, it, it seems foolish to say, don't worry, they're, they're going to be fine. You know, I mean, no, no team is like that. You know, no, no team has, um, you know, in a situation like that, just the, the ready-made fixtures and the White Sox do feel good about what they can provide in this lineup to make up for his loss, but it is still a loss, right? I mean, there's, there's, he's Jose Abreu. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was also surprised by the contract. Um, I think the Astros were, were in a really good position to do that contract with that player, given everything that they have at their at their disposal. Um, I think how, how also, you know, in, in terms of how they move on, they they've got guys ready to take the lead. Um, there, there's a reason that guys like Aloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and Luis Robert, you know, these dudes, there's a reason they all hung out under his wing for as long as they did, or, or I guess I should say as, as, uh, as meaningfully as they did. It's because they, you, you draft guys and you identify guys that want to take that next step. Right. And that's not just their production on the field, but also what they can do for their ball club once they're there. Um, I think that they've got guys that are willing to take this in that next step. I also think that one of it's got to be at least part of the reason or, or in the gumbo, right. That Pedro Grafal was chosen as the manager. You, if you have Jose Abreu on that roster, right. You may not need all of the things Grafal has, or you may be looking for very different specific things, little little changes perhaps in a manager. Well, we can go with this guy because we got Abreu for the rest of this thing. Well, we don't have what Abreu does for us here. I'm talking, you know, within the you know the, the ethereal, right, the the clubhouse stuff. Then then you you hire Pedro 
because he's got obviously it just it feels to me like he's ready to take the reins and go in his direction and then come on and let's go follow sort of thing. And, and maybe that's not what you're looking for um, if, if you have a Brayu there, or maybe you can lean on that more if you don't. Uh, I, I think that's kind of how they begin to move forward. But like everything in sports, it will be easier to move forward without Jose Abreu when the White Sox win ballgames. That's that's just you know, kind of the nature of this beast, and, and hopefully they can get off to a solid start. Yeah, I imagine if uh, Jose Abreu was still around and Grafol was the hire, uh, he would say to Jose Abreu, they're going to follow you. And this is the type of attitude and tone uh, that I would like to set. And I need you, I need you to back me up because yeah. they're going to listen to you probably more than they're going to listen to me. And, you know, obviously no Abreu. So Grafol is going to have to do that on his own. And uh, and and I do like the change of culture almost, and I, and I like the chip on on you know our shoulder, you know all the stuff that the White Sox are putting out, and, and it's it's a great message. Will these players buy into it? I, I'm wondering, uh, you know what what other challenges do you might see that might come Grafol's way this spring training? I, you know, I think I think running a camp is always difficult for a first time manager, and I think that's as much a reason why Charlie Montoyo is there. You know, that's that's something where, you know, I think back to my first year covering the White Sox as the pre post game host. It was um, the, the the yeah, it was Robin Ventura's. I had to check myself there. It's it's the dad brain. That's the that's the dad brain. That's what yeah. it is. I got the infant at the house, and all of a sudden, every thought in my head escaped. Um, it was it was Robin's last year as manager and Rick Renteria was his bench coach. And, you know, Rick is a guy who had been around a while, you know, kind of understood and run a camp before. And you could just, you know, you walked around the backfields and you could just, you know, there's pointing and snapping and yelling and, you know, two languages and the whole thing. Right. So I, I think that's part of what I'll be interested to see. I think Charlie is, is going to I haven't met him yet. I'm looking forward to doing that in a couple of weeks. But. You know, I think he's a guy who's going to run part of camp, but I would imagine Pedro's a guy that's going to run a lot of his first camp too, because you want to set that tone. So that's that's one thing. Um, in terms of buy-in, I this team wants to win so badly. Like what happened last year, you you can't let it wear on you, right? I mean, as soon as you put those pinstripes on, as soon as that, you know, you 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 can't let last year wear on. But you can let it wear on you during the offseason. You can let mm-hmm. it push that, you know, the next step. You can let last year motivate or move you. Like it has Lucas Giolito to kind of revamp some things. I think you've, I'm sure you've seen it. His uh, his agents, uh, it's not driveline, but it's you know, driveline adjacent mm-hmm. kind of knockoff driveline. Um, you know, he's, he's making changes, doing stuff. I think all those things are how you kind of make your changes. You let that marinate for a while and then you move out and go forward. So this is a team that, that wants to win and has expectations to do so. I, I think where you'll where you'll see evidence of buy-in, I suppose, is from some of the veterans. I think Tim is as important to, you know, this combination of manager and and team and, and player cohort as he was to Tony LaRusse's mix between manager and player cohort. And if we've learned anything about Tim Anderson, we've learned that he's willing to mix with just about anybody. If the end of the equation is let's win some damn ball games, you know. Yeah. So I I think that I think that probably settles or ought to settle a lot of minds as, as to you know how things are going to be uh, going to be accepted going forward. 
Yeah, I hope uh, Grafol and his staff just kind of say, look, just look around this room. L- look at the talent that's here. Look at the potential. And, uh, you know, hopefully you're as embarrassed as, as I am, even though Grafol wasn't there last year. Uh, and, and we pick each other up. And, and this is what good teams can do. And if we all buy into this collectively, uh, great things can happen. Um, I, I want to get in, in this next segment. I want to I want to talk about right field uh, and second base because that has been a confusing situation. And I hopefully it gets sorted out in Arizona and, and other maybe other position storylines. But we're going to get to that with Connor McKnight uh, in just a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. Uh, We are through the holidays, and I know my goal was to eat a little healthier this year. If you're like me, uh, where you want to eat healthier but you don't want to compromise taste, then I have got just the thing for you. You have got to try Built. Uh, With Built, healthy is actually tasty. They're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution if that's still a thing for you. Uh, what makes Built Bars so good? Uh, well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars take taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box in the mail. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. And now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. Uh, Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk up to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream double chocolate or coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with our hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. Uh, Second base, Connor, has been an issue maybe since the Gordon Beckham, um, you know, era. And right field, I thought maybe they were going to have that figured out. And then Aloy Jimenez kind of threw his hat into the ring, which I don't know how serious we should take that. But uh, let me start with uh, second base. Uh, you had mentioned earlier in this episode, maybe, maybe the Sox aren't done making some trades here and there. Right now, it seems like uh, it's a Gonzalez, Lenin Sosa. I, I, I'm hoping we don't see a Lurie Garcia starting second base, but could we see a different name emerge or do you think it's a Gonzalez Sosa situation? My money, just kind of looking around, you, you're never exactly sure, you know, who's on the marketplace and who isn't, right? I mean, we we... Saw the rumors, I think it was Ken Rosenthal who had Nicky Lopez's name kind of pop up for the White Sox. And, you know, as expected, we kind of, okay, well, I don't think the Royals are moving on from Nicky Lopez. He's still a pretty valuable player for where they're trying to be. Um, but you never know who's on the marketplace. And I would imagine those second base is kind of that that marketplace that might be shaking a little bit more than right field at this point. I do think that's the mix for them. You know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, those three players kind of comprise what it is. I'll be interested to see. Um, if anybody wants to uh, wants to shake a little bit lo- harder, um, Nick Mondu is a guy who got added mm-hmm. to this roster. Yep. Got, I think he's an NRI, if memory serves. A minor league deal with NRI. I might have to check me on that, Nick. But I, I think he's there. I hope to see him in camp. I, I think that's an open audition. You know? Yeah, I think that's there, and and hopefully that stirs guys. Um, I also, you know, that obviously the expectations are winning, and if there's it could be a good thing to have a team that's winning, staying somewhat healthy, 
and a clear spot you can add to come deadline time or, or maybe even a little bit earlier, um, that might not be a terrible thing for them. Obviously, that's a that's an everything's going right scenario, and, and that rarely happens in baseball, right? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been talking about this with other fans, and uh, again, this is not how I wanted the second base situation to work out or right field. I wanted them to get a proven veteran second baseman, but, you know, I'm up for a competition. I think ideally... You know, if everybody's clicking, the core is clicking and they're back to accustomed levels, maybe second base is just hiding in plain sight right now, trying to figure it out. And I kind of see that for right field, too. Maybe we don't need to lean on that so much offensively. Uh, I, I like everything that's being said about Oscar Colas. Um, we, we've got an actual you know, right fielder. Uh, it seems like he can hit the daylights out of a fastball, might need to adjust to big league secondary pitches, which is understandable. Gavin Sheets, you know, I he's not an outfielder, but I understand the, the depth, the lack of depth that they have in right field. Uh, it, it sounds like Colas will have every opportunity. Do you see him starting uh, March 30th in Houston in right field for the Sox? I, I would imagine, although Colas is going to have to take it from Gavin's cold, dead hands. That's just how Gavin <laughs> rolls. I mean, he's just that man. You got to you got to sit with Gavin Sheets. He is an absolute blast and a, and a true competitor. It's like, you know, you walk around that clubhouse or, or really any clubhouse and if you if you sit in the back and just kind of watch guys interact some, and I told you, all right, on that side of the room or, or a group of this group of ten guys, one of them is the son of a big leaguer, you'd figure it out. You you would you'd learn mm. you you'd watch and be like, ah, oh, it's that guy. He's the he was clearly brought up in a big league clubhouse, and that's it's very true with Gavin, and it matters. You know, it matters in a big way. Um, you're right. Right field's not his best spot. Um, but it's really hard for me to to talk about right field at this point, knowing what he's gone, mm-hmm. what he's put himself through to get himself there. It's it's that's a, that's a dude you want to stick on your roster if he's got any chance of doing it because he'll he'll go to what mattresses for you. He's he's just that kind of guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing some right field. Um, I think Oscar Colas is is you know has a, a place ready for him at the table, and I, I think yeah. this is this is there for him. Um, I I think. What we and I talked about this a lot on, on White Sox Weekly last week. I think it was Coloss was left off a lot of top 100 scouting reports. Yep. And then uh, Keith Law, who writes it all up for the Athletic, he's he's incredibly good. You know, 100 all respect to to Keith. He, he knows what he's doing. But he kind of uh, did a companion piece like a couple of days later. It was after after our show, um, and kind of went through. I think there were 11 different mailbag topics, like the most. Did you did you guys talk about this on, on your show? I'm sorry if I missed it. Uh, um, we talked a little, Keith, uh, just in terms of how the farm system has yeah. been going, unfortunately. And, and, you know, guys like Montgomery and, you know, some of the buzz guys that, you know, you know, we might see sooner than later. But um, it, it's been more of a like the fall from grace uh, yeah. that the Sox have had farm system wise. And, and hopefully some of these arms that they've acquired, you know, in drafts, you know, the Schultz, these guys will hit eventually and that uh, we can get back to that level. The, the way he wrote up Coloss was really interesting. You know, he, he left him off his top 100 list. And then one of the, th- one of the most asked questions was why no Oscar Coloss when he's in a lot mm-hmm. of other places. And he, and he basically kind of said, listen, the guy's 24 going on 25. Um, the top 100 is, is a little bit more for me, for, for Keith, based on future value, which, okay, there's not a lot of projection left for Oscar Colas. He's got to go do it in the big leagues before he's anything. 
He's a very capable corner outfielder, no doubt about it. He can handle center in a pinch, although it, it seems like that's not going to be you know ideal for him, but you want a guy that can do that. Um, and he's a he's a 50-55 future value guy that can play right now. That I mean, it's not signing Michael Conforto and it's and it's not signing Brandon Nimmo or anything like that, but it's a guy that works for the White Sox right mm-hmm. now. That I mean, if you read that, if I read that profile to you. I think without knowing the names, you know, kind of a, a blind taste test like Jason and Steve do on the on the on the broadcast every now and again. Right? Yeah. I give you player A, I give you player B. Yeah. And I go, player B is gonna be pretty good for you. Confidently man right field. He'll hit a little bit for you. He'll be good. And by the way, you've got the rest of this lineup doing what they do. You go, all right, give me that guy. Cause then I get a Benintendi and left. And then I, you know, I, I I think he's got a chance to be a more than capable, potentially impact kind of guy on this roster. And it's lefty, and and this yeah. team needs that. This team absolutely needs that at this point. I am uh, willing as a fan uh, to be patient with the bat, and it's going to happen. He's going to hit his – you know, he's going to go through some lulls because uh, he's really had a cup of coffee in AAA, and, you know, some, there's some nasty pitching at the big league level that he's going to have to adjust to. However, if he can help us defensively and improve right. defensively, I'm okay with that because where we were last year, we can't go back to that level uh, defensively. So corner corner outfield defense. Yeah. Nick, to me, corner outfield defense is the place the White Sox have improved the most uh, from last year to this. And I, the way this game is played now, and and we'll see if rules changes have anything to to change about this or anything to change on this rather Uh, the way the game is played right now. I think corner outfield defense is one of the most underrated aspects of a ball club. Um, I don't think we, we don't talk about it. Like it's, it doesn't make web gems, you know, it doesn't We do web gems. I think we still do web gems, right? I hope so. I don't know. But you know, like the play in the hole, it's short. Is it, it's a fun one. You see the highlight reels, but I, I'm telling you, man, a guy that can cut it off in the gap and keep a double to a single at this point, like that is a big, big part of the way we play baseball now. Yeah. I don't think we talk about it a whole hell of a lot. I think we ought to. Well, I, I feel like, uh, you know, opposing teams talked about it when they played the Sox. They're like, look, run on these guys in the corner because they're not yeah. outfielders to begin with. Take your extra base. And we saw that Cleveland did that. They were prepared and uh, we needed to stop that. And I think we're going to improve on that drastically this year. Um, Connor, I want to get you out uh, on this, and it's so difficult to do this before spring training has even started, but projections have already started to come out. You saw FanDuel. uh, They're at 83 and a half wins right now for the Sox. Zips, uh, their projections just through fan graphs, put the Sox at a 74 and 88 record, which is uh, tough for me to, to stomach, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, where where are you sitting with with a number? Do you have a number in mind right now for the Sox? I I don't, and I hate to disappoint, but I, I go into <laughs> I've only got I've only got like three things left that I get to choose and and create my own sanity with uh, anymore. And one of them is is trying very hard to not predict a win total of any kind. But but I will <laughs> tell you this: I think I think a couple of things about uh, projection systems. One. Um, and I give a shout out to a, a noted White Sox fan, and I, I would imagine a big time listener of this show, P. Knowles, uh, mm, out there on Twitter. Mm-hmm, yeah. he, he sent this. It, it, it's very difficult. He was kind of outlining to believe in some project the, the mathematically based projection systems, given the fact that health has been so brutal for the White Sox over the last couple of years. So then. If you've got these systems telling you you're a 75 win team and it can only predict, 
I'm, I'm picking a number here, but 85 games for Jimenez and 95 for Robert and 100 for TA, then, then of course, you're going to have 75 games. If you don't, though, those are three guys that ought to give you four wins of value and, and ought to very easily or could very easily outpace whatever the Twins and, and Guardians are able to offer. Win total needs to be at least one more than the Twins and Guardians this year, right? <laughs> and I guess all of this is my long way around of saying, even if I did have a number, I think it would be really difficult for me to feel uh, any certain way about it un- until more of the, the the pitching issue is resolved at this point, um, one way or another. I guess, you know, we, we talked about second base being a marketplace there. Hell, it, you know, there, there could be pitchers added to this. I mean, there, there have been already in terms of, you know, some minor league stacking and some, you know, extra seven, eight, nine kind of guys. Um, but mm-hmm. pitching depth is, is, as you know, absolutely crucial. I, I almost don't, you know, when I look at an organization, do some preseason stuff and some scouting, I don't, your one through five is interesting to me, but I need to know what your eight, ninth, and maybe even 10th guy is when we get to August. So, you know, my work's going to be on that as much as anything else. And I think the White Sox could probably shore that up a little bit as well. It'll be interesting to see if there are any kind of, you know, movements heading into pitchers and catchers, if there are, you know, kind of some roster moves. I think there's some uh, improvement in stacking the Sox could do there. Yeah, always uh, arms emerge out of Glendale. And, uh, I, you know, I'm looking at Kopech, and, and and this is a big season, I think, for him, if he can stay healthy. And we talked about Giolito's uh, – you know, this is a big year for him and just, uh, you know, almost redefining his motion and everything that he went through this past offseason. Cease, what a wonderful storyline, of course, Lynn. And is it Martin? Is it Burke? Who, who are these other nar- uh, names that are arms that are going to be stepping up? So I'm with you pitching and then we'll figure everything else out. But uh, Connor, thank I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate your time here. Happy to join, man. Absolutely happy to do it. I'm a regular listener. Glad to hop <laughs> in and, and contribute just a little bit to the show, man. Can you? Everybody knows where to find you, but just remind us where all your good stuff is coming from. Appreciate it. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, at C1McKnight. Otherwise, uh, White Sox Weeklies every Saturday, two hours leading up to the pregame show on ESPN 1000. Uh, I'll be in on the broadcast for the first game of spring training, which is February 25th. So everyone can pop that on AM 1000 or any of the affiliates. And, uh, and remember too, there's the ESPN Chicago app. You can download it and you can listen to white Sox games when you're within 75 miles of the ballpark. I think, I think Nick actually probably can't stream them because you're, it's like the eye of the hurricane. You're actually too close to the ballpark. And the signal isn't, you're like getting the re you're basically just seeing DJ yell out of the booth. With, with how close you live to the park. I, if I can get to a tall brick building, I can hear the reverberation. So I'm, that sounds yeah, right. But, that sounds yeah, right. Your right. DJ slamming his fist on the table. Yeah, and absolutely. Cut off, absolutely. Uh, love it. Uh, we'll be listening and uh, hopefully we could talk with you again. You know, uh, it, it's, it, I think, I think there's potential here for, for a very exciting season. I could be very delusional, but I'm also a diehard uh, live, sleep, breathe, eat White Sox fan. So it's a lot more fun to be delusional than it is pessimistic. <laughs> so, delusional. Uh, cheers. Thank you so much, Connor. Take care, man. Thank you, folks, so much for making this part podcast part of your daily routine. You can find the Lockdown White Sox podcast absolutely everywhere you find your podcast. We are on Twitter at Lockdown Sox. You can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore GGTV. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and get those questions in for next week's mailbag, lockedonsocks at gmail.com. Thanks for making 
Locked on White Sox, your first listen. I'll make your second listen, Locked on MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on the next episode, I'll continue to explore White Sox scenarios as the Sox get going in Arizona, and we inch closer to opening day. Really appreciate you making time for the Locked on White Sox podcast. I'm Nick Murawski. Until next time. Go Sacks.